one of the big boys said to one of the little boys, so do you want to be the pastor when you grow up? And the little boy said, no, as most little boys do. Now, it's interesting to me, this is Easter Sunday in the year 2022, 2022. Are there any of you in the room who thought you might not make it this far? Yeah. 2022. Next week, next Sunday, April 24th, we're going to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Media Mennonite Church and Waterway Church. For, for those of you who are maybe a little bit new here, or, or for those of you who Media Mennonite Church doesn't sound familiar to you, Media Mennonite Church was the name of our fellowship until just over two years ago. Okay? This, this congregation started about a mile south of here at Media Road and 5th Street and was known as Media Mennonite Church until 2020 when we moved locations here to this spot, and since we were no longer on Media Road, and because people even here in Oxford got confused, Media, you guys must be down the main line somewhere. The name of the church changed from Media Mennonite Church, and now we're known as Waterway Church. But it's been 75 years that this congregation has been in existence. In 1947, just quick raise of hands. I mean, we could probably guess, but that would be crude. How many of you were alive in 1947? How many of you had a driver's license in 1947? Did anyone? Did you need a driver's license in 1947? I'm not even sure. I mean, anybody can drive a horse, right? No. No, it, 75 years ago, in 1947, there was a group of folks who attended Maple Grove Mennonite Church. That's up in Atglen, Pennsylvania, about a 25-minute drive that way. There was a group of folks who decided to do a vacation Bible school down here in Oxford. And, and if I didn't get this story exactly right, please forgive me. I'm taking my notes uh, from Edna Mast, who put together a history book in 1984. And you're going to hear more about that in your email updates this week, church. But the original leaders of this church plant, they found this chapel building down here below Oxford. 1947, the neighborhoods looked a little bit different. But the original leaders of the church plant were three couples from the Maple Grove Mennonite Church who were part of a mission committee. Lana and Judy, as I said, are dedicated office staff. They were not here in 1947. But they've collated some really cool historical documents. You'll hear more about that, as I said, this week in the newsletter. But the intention of those three families from Maple Grove was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the residents in the small town of Oxford, Pennsylvania. There were some folks from that area who attended church there at Maple Grove who were beginning to buy farms down here in even the further southern part of Chester County. And there were no churches here on the south side of Oxford. So they said this was a good mission field for them. And it's interesting, of those three families, none of them had what we might call formal theological training. None had been to college, none had been to seminary. These were simply people who had worshiped Jesus Christ and, and had re been reading the Bible and felt a call to go and share the gospel. All of these leaders, the men were fully employed outside of the church. They weren't hired to be here. Media Mennonite Church called its first pastor by the lot. What that means is that there were a number of men who were nominated by the congregation and, and seemed to be qualified. And so uh, there were different ways that it was done, but by the lot is, is kind of like by drawing lots. We might say from our perspective that it was by chance, but we know that with the Lord, nothing works by chance. 
And so of the people, after two years of the people who were gathered there, they, they did a lot. And the typical way to do it back then, I'm not sure if this is exactly how they did it at media, but the typical way to do it back then was to have, have a, a set of Bibles set on the table, one Bible for each man. And one of the Bibles had a slip of paper in it. And each candidate would go forward to the table and pick a Bible. And whoever picked the Bible with the paper in it was going to be the pastor. We're going to draw lots next week. (laughs) I've had it. And all of you men are eligible. How many are in? Hey, that's what happened. That's how it worked. And if you were chosen by the lot, it it was believed that you were chosen by God. This, by the way, is a biblical example. This is laid out in the New Testament as a way to choose leaders. You were chosen by what? chosen by Lot one week and it wasn't long until you were preaching the sermons and helping to guide the church. Can you imagine? This pastor who was called by Lot was still fully employed outside the church. They received really just a small stipend from the church for the time that was given. It's a little bit of a different day, isn't it? Some would like to go back to those days. I understand. Some of us are glad that we're not in those days anymore. Why do you think those three families took a chance like that? Coming down from an established church where they were in a a more established community, I mean, there were a lot of dirt roads in this area still at that time in 1947. And maybe there were some economic opportunities. 1947, you'll recall, this was right in the middle of World War II, but there had been a uh, a lot of changes in the farming community through the 1930s and early 1940s as the Depression hit the era area here in the southern tier of Chester County and in Lancaster County, the southern part of Pennsylvania, there were a lot of folks who had come up in the late 19th century, early 1900s, come up from the south and they'd bought farms in the area. And then when the Depression hit, they went back home because there was no money here. And so farms were being filled up again. Now this time coming from people, especially a lot of Mennonites and brethren folk coming from Lancaster and coming from Gap and coming from At Glen, buying these, buying these cheap farms down here in the 1940s. And they came and they said, there's no church here. We need to start a church here. And so these folks, many of whom were farmers, they said, let's do it. And their church sent them 75 years ago. Three families who were in leadership and and a small group of others to start it up. Let's worship God. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's pray. And let's study the Bible. 75 years later, we do... Many of the same things we've added to our program. I wonder what those people would think today if they were sitting here in our midst. I'm sure they would have some criticisms, just like we would have criticisms of them. The message is the same. The style is quite different. I wonder if any of them could imagine, though, that 300 people would sit here on an Easter Sunday praising God together. Why do you think they did all that? Just from hearing stories about those families and hearing stories about that foundation, I know that they did all that because they knew the power of God to change lives. And they knew that the gospel wasn't just for them. 
I mean, they were already saved. They were already in God's family. They were already part of God's kingdom. They were, they were already in a part of the world that was somewhat more civilized. You know, there was pavement on some of the roads up in Ad Glen. But they knew the power of God to change lives. And they came to this neighborhood down here in, in media and they looked around and said, there are people here whose lives need to be changed. And that wasn't a proud proclamation, like we need to make them like us, but it was, a, it was the kind of compassionate missionary kind of a view that says, these people need to know about Jesus the way that we do. They need to know the hope that we know. They need to know the salvation that we're living out. And so today, 75 years later, here we sit. Next week, we'll have a meal after our service. All of you are invited. Come and celebrate 75 years of God's work through this fellowship. But this week, we sit here on this Easter Sunday, the 74th, Easter Sunday of Media Mennonite Church, now Waterway Church. And we still know the power of God to change lives. How many of you have had your life changed? Even if not in this room, even if not as part of this church fellowship, how many of you have had your lives changed by Jesus Christ? How many stories have we heard of people sitting up here on this stage or on that stage telling about the things that God is doing in their lives, in our lives? Today we celebrate Easter. We celebrate God's power to change lives. We celebrate as God rose Jesus Christ from the grave. We're going to get to that story in just a minute. We're going to look at it in, in Mark chapter 16. But first, a little context. I've told you the historical context of this place that we call Waterway Church, this fellowship that we call the church. But a little bit of context for the scripture. Before we get into Mark 16, just remember how Jesus got to the tomb in the first place. Nearly 2,000 years ago, around the year 35 AD, Jesus was in his early 30s. Okay? He was Jewish, born Jewish, raised Jewish. And he was sent by God to be a savior for God's people, to save them from death and damnation that they deserved and that we deserve because of our sin. See, God created humanity with certain expectations. He created us to love us, and he created us so that we would live and honor him. And we have not lived up to those expectations. You or I, or any of those three founding families, or anybody else really in all of history, none of us have lived up to God's standard. Humanity have all selfishly chosen to live by our own principles. Proverbs 16.25, written 3,000 years ago by King Solomon, says that there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And most of us have chosen that way at one time or another. We said, hey, this, this looks good. I know what God's saying. I know what the church is saying. I know what the scripture's saying, but this looks good to me. And we've walked down that path, and we find that there is no more life there than there were on any of the other paths that we walked. This is called sin. This is us going our own way, trying to figure things out all by ourselves. And it is the universal human condition. All of us have sinned. All of us can rightfully be called sinners. There's a beautiful passage in the book of Romans, which was written a few years after Jesus' death by a guy named Paul. It says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, what we've earned with our sin is death. Right? And not just death on this earth, but, but death just apart from God. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the basics of the gospel. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says that this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The other night we had some friends over and uh, we get together with this, with this family from time to time. We go to their house and they make supper and they come to our house and we make supper. We had, had, a, busy, had a busy day and we didn't feel like making supper. We said, guys, why don't you come over? We're going to order some pizza. They said, cool. So they came to our house. We figured out what everybody wanted, what kind of toppings, who wants what. Oh, this kid doesn't like pizza. Okay, we'll get chicken tenders. That whole dance, many of you have been through it. I called up. I ordered. Pizza Place knows my name. I've been around for a little while. And after, after a few minutes, the other husband and I hopped in the car, drove out to the pizza shop. I got out of the car right on time. I mean, that thing was going to be piping fresh, ready to go. And I reached, and, um, and I, my phone and my wallet are the same thing these days. I have, uh, I have a little wallet case on my phone because I can't remember two things. I can't remember a phone and a wallet. So they're together so that I never forget it, unless you go to the pizza shop. And I went to the pizza shop, and I wasn't pulling a Wilmer. This was like a real thing that actually happened. This was my, this was my brain. This was my, I, I checked all my pockets, and I said to my buddy, I said, oh, I, I forgot, I forgot my wallet. And I knew that this buddy of mine, he doesn't carry cash. I, I, I know him. And I said, uh, I guess we're going to have to run back home, which meant just a couple minutes there and back, but, you know, I like hot pizza. I don't like cold pizza. I said, do you think you, and he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got Apple Pay. Do you think they take Apple Pay? I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about Apple Pay. We walked inside to this pizza joint. The guy making pizza in the back looked up and said, hey, Jesse. I said, hey, Mike, how you doing? I couldn't hide at this point. If they don't take some kind of payment, I'm going to walk out of there with tail between my legs, you know, doing that whole thing. Of, I forgot my wallet. I'll come back like a little boy in 10 minutes and pay you your money. I'm waiting to see how this is all going to go out. And we asked the lady behind the counter, and she was older than I was. And so we asked her and said, uh, do you take Apple Pay? And she said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't know. But then a voice from in the dining room piped up and said, yeah, we take that. And that was a lady who was younger than I am. And she said, we take Apple Pay and went and clicked and snapped. And we walked out with a pizza. Oh, it's a brave new world. I didn't deserve to walk out with a pizza, but I did because I had a friend who stepped in for me and had what was needed to pay the guy behind the counter so that I could get what I thought I needed. I said to my friend, I said, thank you. He said, of course. And he's the kind of friend that we pay for each other all the time. So it wasn't awkward or it wasn't weird. It was just one of those slightly panicked moments when I realized I wasn't as prepared as I'd like to be. Why do I tell you about my pizza date the other night? Well, because I deserved to walk out of that shop with nothing. If you could take a long imaginary stretch with me, maybe you could see that according to the scripture, we all deserve to die at the end of this life 
and get nothing, nothing good at least. In fact, we all deserve, because of our sin, we all deserve death, we all deserve hell. But somebody stepped in for all of us, just like my buddy stepped in for me. When we believe in who Jesus is and who he was, our debt is paid, even if we're not as prepared as we thought we were or as prepared as we should have been. Even if we didn't always behave the way that we ought to have. When we believe in who Jesus is and was, our debt is paid. And now we can live. That was Jesus. See, our sin earns us death. But Jesus paid for our sin and gives us life. Acts 16 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. God sent his son. We call him Jesus. And so Jesus was born a Jew into a Jewish family two millennia ago, lived a perfect life, but he kept a pretty low profile for the first 30 years of his life, just working with the family business. When he was 30, he was baptized and began a public ministry that would last only three years, but which has changed the world. His ministry and miracles were so powerful that crowds flocked to him. But his claim to be the divine son of God, the savior of humanity, offended the religious folks of his day so badly that they wanted to see him killed. And so at the age of 33, just three years after his public ministry had began, he was arrested, he was tried on trumped up charges, and he was put to death on a cross. That's called crucifixion. And that was the typical Roman capital punishment. It wasn't some special thing that only happened to Jesus. Thousands of people in history have died on Roman crosses. It was similar in that day to an electric chair or a lethal injection today. It was how the government got rid of the undesirables. So Jesus died on a cross on Friday. We call that Good Friday these days. He was laid in the grave that Friday afternoon. He spent Saturday, which was the Jewish Sabbath, in that grave. And his followers were shocked because on Sunday morning they showed up and nothing was as they expected. Finally now, let's get to Mark 16. Here are some details of that first Easter morning. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Alyssa shared with us Mary Magdalene's perspective this morning. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. The Sabbath was over, and so now they were able to do this work. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, so this is very early Sunday morning, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? This tomb was basically a little cave cut into the side of a rock, had a big stone in front of it because the people didn't, didn't want grave robbers to be pillaging the dead. So these ladies, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? Verse 4, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb... They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Now, as we pause in this little chunk of the story, Charlie, you still awake? All right. As we pause 
there are a couple things that we ought to notice here. These, these three ladies, they had these spices to basically do the same kind of thing that we do with embalming today, to take care of this body. But they were late. Their preparation was fine, but it was off schedule. They didn't get there in time to do what they intended to do. How many of you hate to be late? They were late. But not everyone was late. Mark 14 tells of a woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet with perfume while he was still living. In Mark 14, it says that that Jesus was at a dinner party. And a woman came and she took a very expensive jar of perfume. It was like a one-time jar. She broke it open, started to anoint Jesus' feet. And some of those who were present said indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly, this woman who came to anoint Jesus while he was still alive. What did Jesus say? He said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And now you've been told. This woman anointed Jesus' body for burial. Jesus recognized it, called out to those those people around him and said, what she is doing is a good thing. These ladies, Mary, Mary, and Salome, they were late. They showed up and they thought they were ready, but they missed their chance. Do you ever feel like you showed up late to some party? Any of you feel today like you showed up late here, like everybody else seems to know something that you don't? Any of you feel behind? Yeah, if, if I had you raise your hand, and if all of us could be honest enough to say I feel a little bit behind, I guarantee you that if you're feeling that right now, you would not be the only one. There are a lot of people in this room right now who feel like you've missed the boat for one reason or another, in one way or another. You're feeling like you've missed your chance, you missed your shot, you missed your opportunity. Or maybe it's been like this for too long. You've been too bad for too long. You are too far away to be brought back. There are so many of us in this room who feel like we've been disqualified. But the message that we get from the Lord is that his arms are wide open for all who will come to him. So if you feel like you showed up late to some party today, like you missed something, you're not the first one to feel that. Mary, Mary, and Salome felt the same way. Not only were these three women late in arriving, but they had their mind on things that didn't really matter. Reuben, I like the way you said that this morning, asking us if we've ever celebrated things that don't make much of a difference. I probably have. But what was the question that these ladies asked each other as they were walking to the tomb? What did they say? How are we going to roll the stone away? How how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to do what needs to be done? It was already taken care of, but... I wonder how much energy they spent worrying about it. Have you ever done that? Got yourself all worked up. What are we going to do? How's it going to go? How are we ever going to accomplish? And then you get there and, oh, it's already taken care of. I feel like that most days that I show up to be the pastor at Waterway Church, if I'm honest with you. How's this going to go? What's going to happen? What's this going to be like? And I show up and God's just already kind of done it. I just have to walk through it. That's pretty cool. But these ladies, they were distracted by their worries. That's interesting. 
And then the third thing that, that I think they missed a little bit, now I'm not being hard just on these ladies. They're the ones that happen to be in this story. There is a whole group of disciples who had no idea what was going on that never even came out to take care of the body. I mean, these ladies are ahead of the curve, but the curve is set pretty low. These ladies, though, they saw the angel. What was their response? It says that they were alarmed, right? They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. This is understandable. When you go looking for a dead body and it's not there, you'd be alarmed. I'm not sure if that's scarier than not looking for a dead body and finding one. That would be alarming too. But you see the response. There's that emotional response. Even though Jesus had told his followers that in three days he would rise. Even though Jesus says this is not the end of the story. It took a long time for everybody to get it. These ladies are just the ones we hear about here in Mark 16. But they saw this angel. Their response was that they were alarmed. And they were disoriented. So this angel in the tomb calls them back to reality. Look what he says. Verse 7. The angel says, Go. Tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, a little bit of inside baseball for those of you who are interested in the details. There is some argument about exactly how to translate this passage from Greek into English. It's convenient that today we have commas and quotation marks. But in the original Greek language, there is no punctuation like that. And so some people, some scholars have looked at this and said that this young man who was in the tomb told them, go and tell his disciples and Peter, period. And then this young man was saying to these ladies, Jesus is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So this is a message spoken to these ladies. Others have interpreted it and translated it the way that we see in the NIV. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, comma, he's going to go ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. There are some who read this as a message mostly to Peter and the disciples and the men. Which way's right? I don't know. You know what's really exciting? These ladies and Peter and the disciples all went to Galilee and they all saw Jesus. So even as we wrestle sometimes with, okay, exactly how does this get translated exactly? And we can get into all the technical details of the Bible. What's really fun is that it's all worked out the way God intended in the first place. Whether you think that this young angel is speaking to the disciples or speaking to the ladies, I'd say he's speaking to all of them because they all got to go and see Jesus. Okay, that's enough of that little bunny trail. The point is, there's a whole host of people, men and women, close followers and not such close followers. People who thought they knew what was going on and people who knew that they had no idea. There is a whole crowd of people who are disoriented and who are confused and who are shocked and yet who are continuously invited back into the life that Jesus Christ offers. Jesus continues to reach out to these people. Peter, oh, Peter, If there was anybody who was a knucklehead, it was Peter. If there was anybody who stuck his foot in his mouth, it was Peter. If there was anybody who missed things, I mean, just a few nights before this, Peter denied Jesus three times. And here is his name popping up in scripture. Jesus keeps calling people back to him. And so even if you feel like you've shown up late, even if you feel like 
You had your mind wrapped up in worry. And even if you're not sure that you're responding right yet to the gospel, let me remind you that Jesus Christ loves you so much that he continues to invite you back to himself. In the book of Revelation, in chapter three, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone lets me in, I will eat with him and fellowship with them. Until the end of the age, when Jesus comes back again, there is a constant invitation where God says, through Jesus Christ, come to me. And that's the invitation that still stands today. But back to our text in Mark 16. Go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see Jesus just as he told you. And then verse eight, trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's an odd way to end a story, isn't it? And again, we're not throwing shade on any of these ladies because there were, there were men and there were ladies and there were disciples and there were community people who all had responses to Jesus' resurrection that were just blown away. Nobody seemed to get it at first. Even Thomas, what's his name known as today? Doubting Thomas? He said, no, I, I, I don't buy it. Not until I can like touch his resurrected body and see his wounds. I'm not believing that, not believing that he came back from the dead. But here, as we see in Mark 16, verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, word got out. Why? Because we're reading about it today. Because 2,000 years later, God has preserved his word. And because eventually these ladies did get to talk with the disciples and they kind of figured it out together and they went and they saw Jesus. Jesus explained it all. And then the church was born. 2,000 years later, here we are. Still coming to Jesus for life. Mark ends his gospel with this line, this trembling and bewildered line. I think that's a powerful statement because it describes a lot of us too. I mean, honestly, It'd be easy to get, get tough on these three women, or, or we, could, we could look down on Peter and say, oh, Peter, why did you have to say the things you said? Or we could look down on Thomas and say, Thomas, why, why couldn't you just believe? Didn't you believe your friends? I don't believe my friends sometimes. Before we get too tough on any of these characters in the story, let us ask ourselves the question, are we any different? I mean, how much of God do you need to see in this world? How many blessings do you need to experience? How blessed do we have to be before we acknowledge that God is indeed at work? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. How many of us, even those who know Jesus and the power of his salvation, find ourselves trembling and bewildered? And instead of going out and telling, we just run away because we're afraid. Have any of you ever felt a tug in your heart to do something bold for God? To leave your home or your jobs, maybe even your community, maybe even your country? Any of you ever, ever felt that call and, and kind of resisted it? Well, then you can relate to Mary and Mary and Salome. You know, it's interesting, I'm 45 years old. I, uh, I received a call to be the pastor at Media Mennonite Church in 2003. It's been 
a whole lot of fun. And I don't know, I've, I've often had people ask me, if you weren't the pastor, what else would you do? I said, I have no idea. I, I like to think that I can do anything, but I don't think I'm qualified to do much of anything at all. I'm not even sure that I'm qualified to do what I'm doing now. But it's been 19 years and people ask me, how long are you going to be there? I say, I don't know. I hope a long time, but God changes things. Relax. I'm not retiring. Or maybe, I'm sorry, I'm not retiring. But I do wonder who'll be next. Who's the next person or the next group of people who are going to be the pastor or the pastors at Waterway Church? I mean, we look back at the last 75 years and we see faithful men and women who have served this church with all that they had. And, and I look at the congregation now and I see a group of faithful men and women serving the church with all you have. I wonder, who's, who's next? Who's coming next? Because maybe I'll need to be replaced next year. Maybe I'll need to be replaced in five years or 10 years. I'll certainly need to be replaced in 20 years. Who's going to be next? One of these guys? I can't wait. I hope I get to see it all happen. I might not right? Because we don't know how things go. But I'm so thrilled that God continues to work in his church to bring life just when we need it. To bring people forward who are not afraid to go and talk about the gospel just when we need it. To rise people up to be leaders, and, and sometimes that means that they're a pastor, but other times it means that they're just a person behind the scenes, or maybe they're an elder, or they're on the finance team, or, or they help to sweep the floors, or mow the grass, park people in the park. There's all kinds of ways that we serve God and, and help people to become more like Jesus. But do you ever think about that when you see this group of kids gather here in the front? What are they going to be? And I realize, just like these three ladies, I... I spend a lot of time worrying ahead of time. What? How are we going to do it? How is, how's the tomb going to open? How's the church going to be run? I suspect that God's thinking of that too. And I find myself sometimes astonished, sometimes even bewildered when God does show up. But I guess I'm not the first one to feel that way either. I'm so thankful that 75 years ago, three families decided to step out in faith and follow God's call. I'm so thankful that for 75 years, more and more people have joined that mission and continue to step out in faith and follow that call, not just to gather here and have a good time on Sunday mornings, but to come and be raised up as disciples, to go out into the world and tell people about the kingdom of God. I'm so excited that this keeps happening. I'm so excited that we get to see God's power at work. And I'm so excited that that power is not running out. That just as God has opened our eyes to the reality of Jesus Christ, that he's going to continue to do that whether or not we're faithful to the call. But what a blessing to be able to be part of that kind of mission, sharing life with the people in our world. This is what we get to be part of. This is why this all started in this little neck of the woods. And it had better be why we keep going. To share the truth about life with all the people in our world. Now sometimes, sometimes, like Mary and Mary and Salome initially did, sometimes we just turn around and run 
because we are afraid. But praise God that he is a God of second chances. And as long as we're here on this earth, we have the chance to respond and say, okay, God, send me. God has great power to change lives. He sets the sinner free from sin. He gives the wanderer a purpose. He gives the lonely a fellowship. And some people, God gives a call to change most everything to tell the world about him. Will you go? Will you go? Will you live your life for him? Will you pray with me now? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for loving us enough to send your son Jesus to the earth that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to face the cross on our behalf. Jesus, we praise you for being so obedient to God's plan that you were able to set aside your own desires and follow the Lord's will. Thank you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we praise you for, for, for filling up and, and raising up and sustaining the church these last two millennia. Holy Spirit, thank you for being here in Oxford, not just at Media Mennonite Church and at Waterway Church, but with so many believers in our community who are right now proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, give us power. Give us courage so that we can walk forward, not shrinking back in fear, but simply telling everyone what you've told us to say, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he offers salvation from our sins and that he promises eternal life for all who will believe in him and give their lives to him. Holy Spirit, fill us up now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray to you because we know that you alone are life. And I thank you that we've had this chance to be together today to remember it. And now, Lord, help us not just to remember, but to go and tell. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, we've got one more song to sing. Would you stand with us as we sing together, Worthy is the Lamb? <laughs>